They tried to stop my shine, but I said, hold up. Y'all know how many hoes done tried to hold this hoe up. Tokyo music. They asked how was my week? Bitch got no sleep. Heard some bad news, still ain't gon' lose. Rules ain't the same when blackness you claim. But I'm gon' fight, it's my right, it's my right. Said it's my right, it's my right. Say I'm still gon' fight. It's my right, it's my right. It's my right, it's your right. What's up, y'all? What's up? What's up? What's up? Obviously, I'm feeling a little type of way today, but I just wanted to let y'all know, you know, I always keep it real with y'all. But first of all, let me back it up and just say hello. Hello, everybody. And how are you this week? Welcome to Craig's Pop Life, a black gay excursion into pop culture. I'm your host, Craig Seymour. You know me. I've been writing about pop culture for more than 20 years. You can catch up on all my shit at rnbeing.com. I am also the author of four books. The biography, Luther, The Life and Longing of Luther Vandross. So if y'all are missing Luther or feel like Luther's not represented in the culture and he's not getting his due, please check out my book and get your Luther on. Um, Then there's my memoir about being a grad school stripper hoe. And that's all I could bear, my life in the strip clubs of gay Washington, D.C. And then there's my novel about three generations of black gay men looking for love. And, you know, not just looking for love, but, like, just asking, like, at different points in your life, you ask, like, what, what the fuck is love? What, what is love to me now? What was, what, what was, you know, what is love in my 20s? Well, what is love in my 30s? Well, God damn, I'm in my 50s now. What the fuck is love now? Do I want it? Do I need it? How's it going to be? What do I want it to be? That's the kind of shit I deal with in my novel, Who's Your Daddy? And I know y'all are getting ready. I know y'all are planning your trips. I know y'all planning good Memorial Day trips. I know y'all getting your Black Pride reads together. So please check me out. All my books are available in your print and in your digital audiobook. So please support an independent Black brother and check them out. Buy them for a friend. Buy them for someone that you don't even know that well. I gotta eat, y'all. I gotta eat. So... I appreciate everything. And I also have a new book coming out called Special, A Critical Meditation on the Life and Artistry of Janet Jackson. So that's what it is this week. So let's jump right in. If you're wondering why it seems like I might be feeling a type of way, yeah, I may be feeling a type of way. We always feel a type of way. Creative people, sometimes you feel a type of way. You know, sometimes don't go the type of way you want it, and then you feel a type of way. Do you know what I'm saying? But it's, you know, and people wonder, people have asked me why I start my podcast with that intro. And this is why, because every time I launch something as a black person, as a black man, as a black gay man, somebody got some shit to say about why I can't do it. Well, guess what, bitch? I did it. Okay. So they said I couldn't be a writer, but I did it, bitch. They said I couldn't be an author. I did it, bitch, numerous times. And then when my wild ass said I wanted to do a podcast, people were like, hey, can't nobody understand what you're talking about half the time anyway. So how, how you going to do a podcast? Ain't nobody going to know what you're talking about? Child. But I did it. So, and I'm doing it. And I appreciate all y'all are here. Listen to my crazy ass. That means a lot to me. And, um, you know, I... Like I said, I'm iTunes official now. So what you got to say? 
You know, I have people in Qatar listening to me. People in Qatar listening to my shit. Now, granted, it's only less than um, 1% of my entire audience, but shit. It's something, and y'all in Cutter, step, step your game up. You know, share the podcast a little more. Get your numbers up. You're keeping down the fandom. So, but thank y'all to all my listeners in Cutter and around the world. I appreciate ya. But, you know, enough about me and what I'm going through. Um, I share these things not to just, you know, be wilding all out here, just, you know, trying to woe is me, because it's not woe is me. It's just... You know, as a black creative, we have challenges, and it just is what it is. You know, and sometimes you think about it more than others, and sometimes you can put it about your mind easier than others, and sometimes you can't. But, um, you know, I share it this time for two reasons. First, I just want y'all to know, I just want y'all to know, know, that no matter what you see out there about me, like how much I'm producing or something, you're like, damn, Craig don't seem to be out that much. Where's Craig's next book? Where's Craig? He's done, supposed to Ben finished that Janet book. What the fuck is up with it? All that kind of stuff. I just want y'all to know that there is a behind the scenes story that I, that y'all will never know about. And most of which I can't talk about business stuff, blah, 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 blah. But I just don't want anybody to ever think that I'm not out here fighting every day, all day to tell our stories, to tell the stories, our stories, the stories we want to hear. Not the green book stories, but the stories we want to hear about the people that we want to hear about. So, um, you know, I just want, I just, maybe people, you know, sometimes you just sit here, you know, your room podcast, and you don't know, you don't know what people be thinking. But like, I just want y'all to really know that I'm out here fighting and whether that means something to you or not, whatever, but just know that for everything you get from me, there are probably 50, 11 things that I've been trying to do, but just have not been able to do yet just because of the way that the industry values black art and values the black audience and them not always able to make the connection between um, understanding what they think black people are going to like, even though they ain't black, um, uh, not black, black, certainly, but, um, and what the audience is going to go to. So whatever, it's a fight, it's my challenge, it's what I'm signed up for. I'm, it's no complaining, it's just sharing with you the experience of what it is. And number two, I'm sharing this experience because please, y'all, please, please, please just do your motherfucking thing. Do your thing, 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 do your thing. Your parents may not support your thing. Your friends, how many of us have one? Your friends might not support your thing. And believe me, the older I get, the older I get, the deeper I get in this game, the more I be on that Jody Wiley friend shit. You know, what you will understand, Oprah done told me before, Oprah, I heard on an Oprah show, but like, People are very comfortable with you at different levels. So people are always comfortable with when you're starting because you ain't a threat. So what the fuck? Whatever. But then once you start coming up and you start to get the same level as them, then maybe you get that little competition coming in. You know, you, people be saying a little sideways stuff and you'd be like, is that a diss? Was that, is that a read? But, you know, you hope for the best and you long-term relationship with people and you hope... People on up and up and up and up, so you might let it slide, like Luther Vandross, I'll let you slide tonight. And um, and then, you know, people become very uncomfortable when you are, like, right above them, when you, like, maybe have accomplished something that's, like, 
right what they want to accomplish, you've gone right to the place they're going to go. Oh, that's when the all hell breaks loose. That's when people be showing their faces. That's when people be acting brand new. That's when you just don't, your whole, whole life reconfigures and rearranged. And people act like you just didn't know, couldn't imagine people acting like the way they acting, but that's the way they be acting. And you just have to be prepared for that. And then you get to the place, you get to like the Oprah-like level, whereas you've gone transcended so far, then people just become idolizing them, you, and then they, oh, I've loved you, I've always supported you, I'm, bitch, I know what you said, bitch, I know where you were, bitch, I know what you, I know when I asked you to share that thing on social, bitch, what, like, I, I know, so like, just come on, don't act brand, we can reconcile and everything, and it's all good, and it's all good, because I have money in my pocket, so I ain't hate nobody, but don't pretend that you was there for every step of the way, because like, if the steps of the way was from like the fifth floor, the first floor to the sixth floor, I didn't seen your ass from four to five. You know what I'm saying? Your ass skipped all the way from being kind of supportive on floor two, and then you just you ain't even take the steps. You just took the elevator all the way up to the penthouse party, celebrating my whatever. And you know, go ahead, drink my free drinks. You know, eat my free cheese. You know, maybe if I'm even like that, eat you a free piece of you know fresh sushi. You know, but. Don't pretend that I don't know what it is because I know what it is. And that's all just putting that out there um, to say because, you know, I had a, my spirit was a little bit off this week. I'm not going to lie. I am not going to lie. Um, a couple of nights ago, I had me a big glass or um, maybe a bottle of, um, y'all ever drink that? Now, I know this is hood as shit and this is going to make me sound ghetto as fuck, but y'all ever drink that um, great popsicle wine? See, I am not a wine person. Wine is never sweet enough for me. Something like that. I'm one of those tacky people. I, but somebody, if like, I won't drink wine just on the regular. I want me a drink, drink. You know, something with some. I want something to stick. I want like a rosemary sprig. You know, I want something with a lemon slice. You know, I want a drink. I want a production. Just because you pour me some red shit in it or some white shit in a glass, that's not a production to me. I need a production. But in those cases that I do be forced, because, you know, some people be trying to be so painful. Oh, it's, it's, it's wine and cheese. It's wine and cheese. Wine. Okay, let me drink your goddamn wine. I will always sneak over to some kind of table and find me some good Splendors and mix a good three, four, five, six Splendors and that thing's tricked around. That's the only time I can drink it. So I found me some great popsicle wine, child, and that got me through the night. And that was, um, you know, and that was, that's when I think some people might have seen me tweeting some stuff just about, I mean, no deep stuff. I wasn't doing no, nothing, you know, just basically just um, expressing my frustration. So I just want to thank everybody that um, was, um, I've lost my notes, y'all. I'm not even going to try to lie. I'm looking through my notes saying what the fuck I'm talking about because um, I cannot find it. But anyway, I just want to thank everybody that shouted me out that night when obviously I needed a little something. And people, it's, you know, people talk about internet people. Everybody's nasty. Everybody, but a lot of people were there and I, that, that night just tell me to keep going, keep going, which I um, applied both to keep going in my work and keep pouring that drink. But regardless of the fact it got me through and I thank you very very much for that so um what we got this week we got a lot of stuff this week um we finally got to see Janet um, be inducted into the hall of fame very it's one of those things black people we had to do we had to be like oh thank god we're so happy but like what the fuck took y'all so long you know, so it's always this kind of mixed feeling. And then I'm going to get into the Billboard Music Awards a little bit. Um, 
But let's just start with Janet um, and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame um, induction ceremony. You know, in a way, I, I really like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame whole situation because it does put the focus on the artistry rather than the celebrity. But the problem is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's idea of artistry is basically a white man. So, you know, that's problematic. But at least this year, you know, the show kicked off with the good old Stevie Nicks. And um, I've always loved Stevie Nicks. I've been a Stevie Nicks fan from way back. She's one of my favorite vocalists. And, you know, it's a cliche just to call somebody soulful. Oh, she's soulful. She's soulful. She's soulful. As a critic, I always try to stop myself from just saying that and really trying to figure out what I mean when I'm calling a specific vocalist soulful. And for me, with Stevie, it's the way that she opens her voice up to the emotion. Okay, where the singer isn't just performing the lyrics, but they're telling us through their choices, through the moments that they release the voice or hold back, exactly what the lyrics mean to them. And that is what I hear when I um, hear Stevie Nicks. And I don't know how many of y'all are old enough to remember this, um, but I don't know how long old enough to remember the Judy Bloom forever, not just the book, because we was all reading the books, um, underlined in the books. You know, sometimes sometimes you, somebody pass you a good Judy Bloom, but whole damn thing being yellow, being showing up inside. How am I supposed to read this in the dark and the whole thing's highlighted? It's going to be glowing. How am I supposed to read this shit under the pillow? But anyway, the Judy Bloom forever and... Um, the film, though, is what um, also was the thing back in the day. The film of Judy Bloom Forever. Learned about that good old juicy, juicy teenage love, bitch, with the sex and the shit. And, you know, I was a preteen, so I was trying to figure out the sex, trying to figure out what it all meant. And um, I remember in the movie, they played Dreams by Fleetwood Mac. And it was just one of those moments, like, I didn't know what the shit meant. Um... I mean, maybe a little bit because, like, I remember that one line, you know, now here you go again, you say you um, want your freedom. And that struck me at a particular time in my life because um, that was around the time that my parents had recently told me that they were getting divorced, you know, in that matter-of-fact kind of 70s way, you know, with that whole, like, oh, this is the best for all of us, we're still going to see each other, you're mature enough to understand. The whole 70s divorce script, which I know a lot of my friends know by heart. I mean, whoever wrote that script, I wish I could kill that nigga because that fucked a lot of us up. But that was a 70s script. That's what we got. So that whole thing about wanting your freedom, you know, I felt that. And, um, but just listening to what she was saying without fully understanding it, I knew without a doubt that one day I would experience everything that she was singing about. Not necessarily the words, but for some reason I just had the sense I would know those emotions and be intimate with every nuance of the way she sounded. And of course, as you live through life, as I've lived through life, yes, shit, I understand everything from the moment the music comes on. I've been there. I've, yes, child. Um, and, you know, in a way, hearing her sing that was almost like a loss of virginity, a musical virginity in a way, because it expanded to, to me the sound of adult emotions. Like I heard that and I was like, okay, this is what adult emotion sounds like. Now, for me at the time, my idea of adult was probably somebody like 21, you know, but that's, it really opened me up to that. So needless to say, um, as you do when anybody, you know, 
lose your virginity, you lose your virginity to, you remember them. So I've always been a Stevie Nicks fan. And Sha, I remember when she dropped Stand Back a couple years later, Stand Back, and that blew my whole entire shit up. Because you have to travel back with me to, the year is 1983. And the thing about it was, music was in a very transitional period. There were still like rock bands that just playing the traditional instruments and doing what they're doing. And there was still like a lot of the R&B bands and everything. Because this was um, early 80s, so there were still bands that existed. You know, the record industry hadn't pulled the lead singer apart from every damn band. But prominent synthesizers on a song weren't just like a regular thing. There was still a lot of, like I said, the basic rock and everything, but you would hear the synthesizers, the heavy synthesizers, like especially with Prince and with the new wave bands that I loved at the time, like Thompson Twins and the Human League. And those just weren't sounds that you always heard on pop records. Excuse me, I'll take a drink from my bread bowl. So there was something kind of that linked synthesizers to a soul since Prince was really um, really kind of building that path. And a lot of the British bands that were using synthesizers, the Spandau Ballets and all the people like that, the culture clubs, they were – culture clubs didn't really use that many synthesizers, but you get my point. Um, I mean in that kind of way, in the synth pop kind of way. I wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't call culture club synth pop. But the point is there was something kind of um, – soulful about it. There was something at that particular time in music that synthesizers seemed to kind of make a record seem blacker. You know, like I remember Donnie Simpson, um, and this is pre-video soul. This was when he was on WKYS, and I would listen to him every morning going to school in a hometown of D.C., and I mean, he would play those records. He would play Stand Back. He would play a record like Van Halen's Jump, because they were all in that synthesizer um heavy category that at the time read very black and um and child even i tried to get on a mom i begged my mama for a little synthesizer and um all i ever got to play is uh, all i ever learned to play is after one lesson because my mother made me try it she, she let me try anything but that's a couple good single mom payments if i wasn't doing it you know, look like I was going all where with it. The shit got cut off. So all I know how to play on the synthesizer is the bass, the synthesized bass line to Ain't Nobody. So you put a keyboard in front of me anywhere, anytime, any place. I can do that. do 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 so anyway, um, I don't know what that talent's ever going to get me, but you never know. You, as you go through life, you, you know, you gather talents, different things. You never know when they're going to come in handy. So, um, and then all the Stevie's um, vocals are so, back to the um, track of the uh, Stand Back Dial, I just don't want to let that to go passing without knowing that Prince is the one playing the synthesizers on Stand Back. And, of course, when I later found that out, much years later, that, of course, it all made sense. But anyway, Stevie's vocals on that song are so soulful. And then the soulful, what I mean here, is just, it's the gritty delivery, but it's also the way that she sings just slightly behind the beat. It's that thing Mary does. It's that thing Patty does. It's that thing Betty Wright does, where it's not right on the, it's like it creates a tension because she's singing right behind the beat. So I was very happy. Um... 
when she sang that during the introduction. And did y'all see, did y'all see Janet, Miss Janet stand up and everybody else was clapping on the two and the four. Everybody else was like, stand back, stand back. And Janet was doing soul clap. Janet was, stand back, stand back. I said, go ahead, Janet, with your gloves, with your, with your soul clapping gloves. So I really like that moment. I, I wish it would be memed. Um, anybody can send that to me. You know where to find me. Um, and then I really loved when Stevie shouted out to Prince at the end of her performance with the Wind Doves Cry thing. I thought that that was a really nice moment. And, you know, I didn't really know that much about Stevie Nicks. Like, I don't even know how much in life I've ever seen her talk or paid attention or anything like that. But I thought she came across as really genuine. And I liked her. I really liked her a lot. So shout out to Stevie Nicks. And now moving along to Janet. Um, and thank God I didn't have to wait till, through too many damn people to see Janet come up on the show. Um, now, I had seen Janet's speech before, thanks to all my good Jan fan people and their IG feeds, you know, so there was nothing new there when I watched her. But there were a couple of things that Janelle Monet said that really touched me and kind of helped, I felt helped. The, the, the critical appraisement of Janet isn't quite right. It hasn't quite got, gotten right yet. And that's what some, I'm trying to do in the book. And I thought that um, Janelle Monet made a lot of um, strides toward that in her comments. Because um, one thing she said is that she said Janet became the blueprint for writing socially conscious jams. And that really just hit it on the head because you have to understand the context of when Janet was making this record. When Janet was making these records, Janet had these huge deals with A&M, with Virgins, with sh they, they, that had shareholders and what have. Janet had to sell units, y'all. Janet had to be on the pop charts, y'all. That was what she had to do. That was her job. So for the fact of her being able to create something where she could raise issues about, you know, prejudice, no, and all that kind of stuff, where she can talk about a world sick with racism, that was revolutionary because every time she did something like that, she potentially sacrificed her audience. And every time she did something like that, all the white record companies, people were, oh, Lord, I don't know. It's the fourth quarter. We need those sales. So that's why it really irritates me to the last when people compare Janet to Beyonce. Because Beyonce was able to take what Janet did, creating these socially conscious jams, giving us the formations and the whatnot, because of what Janet did, and Beyonce is now in a new era. Beyonce is now in an era where she had already established herself firmly in the pop lane because of of um, the, that lane had been opened up by people like Janet, and then she became in a position where she could do whatever the fuck she wanted, and she knew that we would be there in mass. That is why she's able to, you know, do go take it so far in everything. And that's where she's able to do the Coachella shit and all of that kind of stuff. And just to be blackity black and black as she wants to be black. Janet was not in that position when she, in her, um, I don't want to say heyday, because that's, that's making this like she's past her day. But in the prime when she was, you know, making them top 10 hits and all that kind of stuff, that was just not a possibility. So just be grown, just accept that, just... Don't compare the two, but understand Janet's role in what Beyonce has done, and let's be grateful for that, and let's honor these women for be creating this path of 
social consciousness within pop music. Let's just celebrate that. Let's just celebrate the continuum. Let's not try to um, compare the two. And um, y'all, y'all got me all off my nose. See, I'm too emotional t- tonight or something like that. But another thing that Janelle said that really um, struck with me was when she described Janet's work as every album a risk, every moment a revelation. And that is so true. And her the the um the her specific wording was so accurate and on point with that. Because, you know, first of all, you can clearly see how Beyonce has taken that. You can clearly see how Beyonce takes risks with every single album and every moment a revel a revelation. That's so much different than if you think about like what people talk about with Madonna. Because with Madonna, it's about reinvention. But see, there's a lot, and this is not to diss Madonna, even though I'm kind of going to diss something she did later. But this is not to diss Madonna, but it's just saying that reinvention can kind of be seen in terms of style. You know, you put on a new wig, you put on a new this. And Madonna always did it to the point of trying to prove a point. She was trying to move her audience this way or move her audience that way or do that. So it wasn't like that there wasn't a um, strategy for why she was doing these reinventions. But the thing about the the um, revelation is like revelation is something that comes from inside. Revelation is something that you look into your spirit and have a revelation. You look into the depths of your soul and try to figure out who the fuck you are and you have an epiphany. And that is a revelation. And those are the things that Janet brought to her music when you're talking about Janet, the album, when you're talking about the Velvet Rope. And again, that's what Beyonce brings to her recordings. So I just really thought that that was a, um, that Janelle just did a wonderful job of um, really summing up Janet's importance because a lot of times you know those intros at these war shows those be bullshitty like don't whatever don't do that yeah they sold that many albums yeah 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 we know I bought me one I have it right here in my hand I don't need you to tell me how many goddamn albums she sold but in Janelle's case I thought she really did the damn thing and um you know no shade to other performers you know I don't be trying to shade I'll be trying to negatively shade I might be trying to um like constructively criticize or just push somebody a little way they may, they may need to have been pushed, but I don't really be trying to read people. But, you know, after thinking about what Janelle said, it really made sense to me why some of the other Janet-esque performers, you know, fantastic performers that we've seen over the years, people like Sierra and Tanache, have never been able to be successful because they've never, as successful, because they've never been able to reach that moment of revelation. They've never been able to, for whatever reason, industry politics, whatever, I'm not blaming them personally. I'm just saying that they've never shown us some unique side of themselves that provides a context for all the wonderful performance, all the um, matrix dancing and all of that kind of stuff. There has, you know, if you want to be an icon, there has to be more to it than just the dancing, just the wonderful performance. You have to show us your soul, and I, I think, and think Janet really, really t- took that risk to do that within the '90s, and that might ultimately be her, um, be her strongest legacy, even beyond the dancing and the performing, because what she said is that it is all right for Black women to dig into their deepest truths, make songs about that, 
and feel that these songs were worthy of being at the top of the goddamn pop charts. Not just on some R&B bullshit. She felt that the feelings that she had within her, what it meant to her to be a black woman, she felt that that was worthy of the best of being at the top of everybody to listen to. And that is what Janet's legacy, I think, is um, the most important about important important part about Janet's Janet's legacy, just being a black woman with the audacity to feel that her feelings, her instincts, are enough and are more than enough to make it to the very top. So shout out to Janet. Um, let me just clap. So that's kind of where my takeaways from that. I had shit to do, y'all. I flew in from um, Cashville, Nashville on Saturday night when this shit was on. So since Janet was off, I, I, yeah, I like Roxy music and all, but I had shit to do. I had laundry, getting ready for Monday. So I, that's, that's all I saw the show. So, you know, I apologize if something else was good. Please tell me about it. Send me a link or whatever. But that's what I got to. Um, and now let's move to the Billboard Music Awards, which is my most hated um, music awards show of the year, and I will tell you why. First of all, the show used to make some degree of sense when it came on at the end of the year, because Billboard always um, issues a year-end issue where they link all, where they talk about you know the top fifty in R and B, the top fifty in this, the top selling singles, top stuff. It always comes at the end of the year. It comes out like mid December. It's thick as shit. I'd be reading it until people be taking their Christmas decorations down because it's long. But it gives you comprehensive, you know, what music's selling, what genres are selling more than others, what labels are selling more than others. Like it used to be just the most important thing that I would get at the end of the year. But in order to get these ratings or be competitive, in order to kind of not compete with other award shows, they moved it to what's month we in? May, so it's damn near the middle of the next year, and we celebrating shit that was last year. So it just gets real. It's just weird, weird to me. And then I really hate that it's in Vegas. First of all, I hate Vegas, but um, it's just too fakey, fake, fake for me. But also, um, I just need my award shows to be in the cities where the art is made. I need my Tonys in New York. I need my Oscars in L.A. I need my hip-hop awards in Atlanta. Let's keep it real. And I need my um, music shows in either New York or L.A. because that's where most of the music is made, right? New York or L.A. So the Vegas thing just never really made a whole lot of sense to me. Um, But, you know, but I watch as I watch all these shows. And the show started off with that unseasoned chicken of a performance by Taylor Swift. And I just have to say, um, there was a moment in my life, you know, we all have to go back and, you know, you have to claim the things you've done or you're not going to be able to move forward. You know, I really enjoyed Taylor Swift's 1989 album. I liked it. I bought it. I did not just buy the regular album. I bought the deluxe album that came in a box with some damn Polaroids in it. One of my favorite songs was one of the deluxe songs, New Romantics. That's still my favorite Taylor Swift song. So I was have no means like anti-Taylor. But the whole thing just began to take a turn with the reputation. I don't even like snakes. I'm not going to stare at you. Even if I'm a good Netflix, I'm not going to stare at you standing in front of a snake for two hours. But I, I just don't care. 
So I was glad that she's kind of lightened up. But this song just, I don't know, it's just too generic for me. And then, um, you know, and I blame y'all for some of this. Because, you know, y'all be complaining about cultural appropriation all the time. Well, when I heard her singing this song, I'm like, please, I could have used a trap beat. You know, I could use some flavor on it. Cultural appropriate me, just make let me get through the goddamn song. Just do something, add a beat, do a remix, throw somebody, put the baby on it. Just do something, you know, to make it a little bit more flavorified because it's just too bland. And, um, you know, I know it's just a fool's game in pop culture to talk about anything originality. Nothing's original, blah, 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 blah. We all get it. However, how are you going to come out on a stage with a marching band just weeks after Beyonce has dropped Homecoming. And you were going to come out with some bland old marching bands looking like they just um, came out of Babes in Toyland. Like they were going to do the, march of the um, you know, March of the Toys in their little pastels. How are you going to come out and do something that lame coming after Beyonce's Homecoming with just reinvigorated the use of the marching band in pop music and link the marching band tradition to the African-American tradition. And just weeks later, you're going to come out with this these pastel people tippy-tippy-tapping, you know, pum on their little drum-a-drum-drums. No, 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 no. That just was not working for me. Um, you know, I'm going to need you to have some stomping. I'm going to need some baton, baton, baton twirling. I'm going to need some bunny hop, bunny hop, drop, pop, crush your legs, turn around. I'm off. They got that all wrong. What, how, it's just, bunny hop, bunny hop, drop, pop, crush your legs, turn around. Look, I can't get the before I let go stuff, but I was trying to make a before I let go reference. But in any event, that whole performance missed the mark for me, the um, the Taylor Swift performance. All I was doing was looking at Kane Brown's fine ass in the audience. If y'all been following the podcast, you know I'd love me some Kane Brown. Black country singer, fine as fuck. Um, I'm just trying to figure out how we going to get, seduce him from them country ways to R&B. We need him in an R&B situation. We need him to be making the type of videos where he needs to be taking his shirt off and the whole nine. We need to get in formation and work on that. So that's my project for the year. I'm trying to get Kane Brown. I know he has that song with Khalid, but, um, you know, I'm trying to see him do his thing and you know apparently he started as a, an r&b singer but that wasn't really popping off and he also he loves country so he you know and then that became a lane that he broke into through in, through um social media but then of course they throw the flip on him and see he gets signed but then some people in nashville didn't even want to write with him because he was black because he was black and he's tatted up and everything like that so nashville really Nashville, Nashville has some problems. Just like the way that they didn't accept um, daddy lessons into the Grammy um, country category when Beyonce put that in. I mean, they really need to. And now that, um, you know, Old Town Road is not on the country chart. So they really need some racial reckoning to do. You know, perhaps we will need a new administration in order for people to get their little minds right and stop feeling like everybody's taking stuff from them in order for them to check themselves and get that. But that's what we're dealing with right now. And, um, of course, we have to speak about this Mariah Carey legend performance. Um, I thought it was great from song selection on down. And I'm always a little worried when 
Mariah does um, these big live performances, these live medleys, because sometimes it's just like maybe the production is too much or like, you know, they have her standing up on a pen needle 30 feet in the air and she's nervous about falling. I mean, sometimes there's always something that's just too much of a lot. Like my favorite performance um, by her live was the... um, was the Emancipation of Mimi Grammy performance, where basically she just stood out there and sang. She flew like a bird. She did the whole thing. And it was just, you saw her raw. You saw her really like getting into the performance. And I love that. But we get too few um, moments like that. But this one I thought was really, really cool. I love seeing Rock. Rock being too cool for school in the audience, too cool to clap for his mama. And, um, Rogue getting her life on, so that that was very cute, and I just love Mariah's confidence in this particular performance, um, which, as I said, you don't always see in her televised performances, because in the past, you know, she can seem in the past is almost like you know she's always complaining about like her ears don't work or just something's not working and or something and everything goes bad on her. Sometimes I watch her live and I think I almost see her waiting for something not to go right, you know, waiting for. I don't know, a light cue not to happen or waiting for just something not to go right. But she didn't seem to have that kind of jittery attitude this time. And then the other thing about her is that a lot of times if she doesn't hit those notes quite right at the beginning of the performance, then she gets kind of nervous and tenses up for the rest of the performance. And this time, so when she didn't quite hit a few notes at the very beginning, I was kind of like, oh, God, what are we going to do? Because Madonna, Madonna, Mariah can pull it through. I like a rough voice, Mariah. I like a Mariah taking the, um, you know, song down an octave or something like that and, and singing. I like her at every level of singing. And I really offended her when I said that one time. I, was, I said something, it probably wasn't the most politic way to say it. But I was just saying, oh, you know, I like sometimes when, you know, you can't hit all the high notes stuff because I like that that brings out that kind of raw in you. Child, she looked at me like, I you know, called her mama a name. But anyway, um, so I thought that was right. And I thought she, you know, went through, she got through those notes that weren't all that. And she ended up just pulling it through with Hero. And I thought that was really fantastic. And I thought the montage on her was nice, talking about all her credits and all her song writing credits. I hope that Wendy Williams' ass, you know, now she's single, she might have more time to watch TV. I hope Wendy Williams' ass was watching the montage so she will never, ever, ever, ever again talk that shit about Mariah don't write her own shit because everybody knows that Mariah write her own shit. So hopefully that is something that we can just put case closed. Um, Moving on to the other performance of the night, one of the other major performances of the night, basically meaning the ones that I turned up the volume on because, like I said, I was working on other stuff. Um, you know, there was the Madonna performance and I mean, I'm a person who's kind of had an on and off relationship with Madonna ever since I first read about her in a black, in black beat magazine, black beat mag, there was a profile of her in black beat magazine, not a big profile. Now she ain't get a page, but she got a little rectangle, you know, like a side of the page. But anyway, it was her, um, in like 1982. And, you know, I went out and bought the record and stuff because my friends at the record um, store played it for me. And I was like, uh-oh, boop, 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 boop. I was like, oh, boop, 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 hey. To boop, 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 everybody. I was like, oh, okay, I can get with that. That sounds like me. You know, I put my good uh, 12 inches, like $3.99 on sale 
$4.99 full price. I think it was on sale for $3.99. I was like, okay, I can dig up enough quarters, you know, underneath the couch to get this. So, you know, like I said, I've been a big Madonna fan, but to me, my Madonna aesthetic is the closer she sticks to contemporary black music, the more I like it. The more she starts to stray away from black influences, the less I'm into it. That is me. I'm not saying good or bad. I don't want to, you know, walk out of this studio. It's not a studio. It's just an office. But I don't want to walk out of the office and have like a gang of white gays jump me or whatever that I'm not saying anything. This is me. I like the more Madonna is black influenced, the more I like it. The more less Madonna is black influenced, the less I particularly like it. Woman sells albums all around the world. She has more fans than Cutter than I do. So what does my opinion say? I'm just saying for me. So, for example, like my favorite Madonna albums, we talk in the debut with the Reggie Lucas, you know, um, of of M. Tume Lucas, who did like, you know how to love me for Phyllis and did all the Stephanie Mills albums and everything like that. Yes, I like his production on the debut. I like Like a Virgin. Took me a little bit to get into because now was really heavy on the rock, on the guitar and that. And I was kind of like, what's all this guitar? And that was when I was into freestyle dance music and everything. So I'm waiting for the synthesizers and all this kind of stuff. But um, songs like Shooby Doo got me right off the bat. And that's still one of my favorite Madonna records. Um, like a Prayer. I love Like a Prayer. Bedtime Stories. Perhaps my favorite Madonna album. And no, I did not skip Erotica. I intentionally did not m- mention it. It is not one of my favorite Madonna albums. I'm sorry. I know y'all love it. It's not for me. Um, and then lastly, Hard Candy, which I love. I love her with Pharrell and Timbaland and all that kind of stuff. No, I did not skip Confessions on the Dance Floor. I understand that you all think it's her, the best thing that she has ever put together. It is just not for me. Except um, Get Together. That's not Can We Get Together. I do like that joint. So, um, so you know, I pl- when I was playing the new Madonna song, The Medellin, as soon as my title, you know, started, the wheel started turning and it was loading. Because, you know, I listen to the title in the hi-fi because it's very nice um, sound quality. But sometimes you get that wheel turned around a few times before the music starts. And anyway, the first thing I heard was some one-two cha-cha-cha, one-two cha I was like, oh, no, I already know. We don't even need to get into the mute. The beat don't even need to kick in. I know that this is just not going to be a song for me. So I just accepted what it was and moved on then surprisingly enough when I watched the video I really did like the video I thought she looked good I thought um how do you pronounce the guy's name Maluma I thought he was looking fine and thick that wide open shirt and shit and that's all my friends would tell you that is not my type I like a little twink um but I was looking hey fuck I might need to man up for this motherfucker because he was looking like a hunk of a man so I, I was enjoying I was enjoying the whole thing like I never played the song more than once. I'm not even sure if I played it once, to be honest with you, all the way through. But I watched the video a couple of times because I thought it was really, um, you know, I thought it was nice. And then when she sucked on his big ass toe, looking like it's the head of his dick, I was like, big old freak. Big body, big booty, big old treat. I was like, go ahead, Madonna. But so, you know, that really, I was, um, I'm messing up all my little song lyrics this year. I mean, this year. I told y'all I was tired. Being black is exhausting, but um, <laughs> I saw somebody. I saw somebody write that on Twitter a, a, a couple of days ago that there is actually a syndrome for just being black and tired for being 
tired of having to, um, you know, always explain to pe- stuff to people and just always be fighting for shit that you think it should be obvious that there's actual syndrome. So that's nice. Um, once my health insurance kicks back in, maybe I'll go get some treatment for it. But anyway, I was kind of hyped for the Madonna performance, um, especially after I found out she spent $5 million of her own coin on the performance. I was like, what is a $5 million, a $5 million TV performance? Not even a tour? You're going to do this shit once and $5 million gone? But baby, after watching that shit, I, she would have been better spending that money to feed some more kids in Malawi. Because I just was like, you know, watching it, I don't mind you using holograms and stuff. But very quickly in the song, I want to know who the fuck is singing. You know what I mean? I don't want to be looking at a hologram for five minutes and then it's not even the real person. That just that gets on my nerves. But then, you know, she has all these holograms. Near one of the holograms can dance really well. All these damn holograms, and then she makes them disappear. And I'm like, so that's the special effects? That's the big thing? Because that's just the Thanos. That's the Thanos. Everybody that's been to a multiplex, you know, the week before, everybody who saw Avengers, um, you know, not the end game, Infinity War, done seen the Thanos. So you're going to spend $5 million just to show us the Thanos? Ciao. I thought that that was like, I don't know. And see, the thing about it is like, okay, so I'm going to say, to me, doing something, showing us an effect that we have been seeing, that you can see all over this country, whether you live in a small town, because we have seen that effect. That shows me that there's some degree of being out of touch. And I don't put this toward age at all. You know, my ass is too old to be ageist. So I'm not I'm trying to age anybody at all. But what I am saying is that it shows that the people in around her, the people that are influencing her, they at least need to go to the movies once every 18 months or something because they at least need to be able to say to her, oh, you know, you want to kind of just flutter away like that? Well, you know, kind of that's all that happens in the Avengers, right? You know what I mean? Somebody needed to have said that to her and saved her a good $5 million because it just wasn't it. You know, it was played out. And so the other thing about just the multiple images, though, and this kind of goes back to the Taylor Swift thing, is that Beyonce pretty much shut down the multiple image thing at the Billboard Awards when she did the um, Run the World. You know, and that actually was it. Like, you really did know which Beyonce was dancing sometimes, and all them Beyonce's could dance. So it was really a, um, you know, kind of magical effect. And if you watched the Life is But a Dream documentary, you saw all that went into that. So that was really something. But this just seemed, like I said, I don't know. Like I said, I had just seen Avengers, so I wasn't trying. I didn't need nobody else. You know, we had been through a whole thing uh, trying to not get people disappearing. So I just didn't need to see people disappearing again. It was triggering me. So, you know, that just was not, sorry about that, y'all. That just was not the answer for me. Um, so I hope she kept them receipts and could get some of that five million back. Um, so in closing and kind of speak, keeping on the Beyonce tip, did y'all know, you know, I knew she released lemonade to all the streaming platforms and everything but i have been had lemonade because i have i'm a title subscriber like i said i support black businesses i have been on title i did not know that there were additional songs on the lemonade re-release so somebody had to tell me that 
um, there was a, um, that's the demo version of Sorry was on the Lemonade re-release. And I was just blown away. It's, it's like, it's a whole different song. Some of the same lyrics, but they're new, new music. It's like this ambient type of sound and um, this, and their new vocals. She sings it in a different way. Their new lyrics. And I just love it. Like it really puts me in the mind of, you know, literally Beyonce laying in bed. It's getting late. She wondering when Jay ass is going to come in the house. And these are the thoughts that are running through her mind. And I thought it was just so intimate and powerful. So um, definitely, whatever you do in between, you know, I know you're probably still trying to get your um, Before I Let Go challenge together with you and your friends and everything like that. I know it takes time. I got the rhyme pattern all wrong earlier, so I know the shit takes practice. But um, if you could take yourself five, oh, this would be perfectly like, y'all dance out, y'all sweaty, you need to take you a little five minute break, play the sorry demo because it's slow, it's ambient, it's a good cool down record. And it's fan- it's really fantastic. And it really slipped in without um, much notice. So that's pretty much it for me this week. Um, I hope I didn't bring y'all down. That was not the, that was not my intention at all. My intention really was just to let y'all know to just keep going that you know we all get in these spots where it might not seem like things are going the way we want them to and we have to keep going it happens to me it happens to all of us um and so i just you know thought somebody might need to hear this today maybe it's you maybe it's not but before i go before i let you go um i wanted to let you guys um know about something oh child this is year i'm stopped supposed to be stopped saying you guys Ugh. okay before i go i wanted to let y'all know um especially y'all writers out there and folks you know who might be writers i want to let you know about my new site called bookcoachcraig.com yeah all my websites have simple ass titles but it's bookcoachcraig.com and i offer services on there to take you all the way from a book idea Maybe you don't know if it's a book idea. Maybe you just have an inkling of it or something like that. So I take you all the way from the book idea all the way through publication. I have different packages of working with you wherever you are. And I'm bringing this up specifically because I really want to work with black folk because I know that there are so few black people in the field in doing that. And I have had so many friends, so many black friends with bad experiences working with developmental editors or this and that people that just don't have the cultural awareness, trying to change every ain't, trying to change every nigga, trying to change every this and that. And so, you know, I wanted to at least make it known that I'm in a space that um, I definitely want to um, help black writers become authors because we definitely need more authors. We need more people out here proving that there's an audience for our shit. And if we don't tell our stories, who the fuck will? So please spread that around for me. Um, as usual, I thank you so much for listening. It means a lot for me. It means a lot to me. And it means a lot for me, too. If you, for me, in terms of people recognizing me as a podcaster in these streets, if you would write a um, brief review, um, if you would you know, give me a little stars, not a little stars, go ahead and give me the five, don't be stingy. Give me the little stars and, um, and please share it with somebody that you think might like it, might be able to tolerate me for a good little minute. And, um, that's about it. 
So as we do at this time, I just wanted to thank y'all. I wanted y'all to be cool. I wanted y'all to be kind. I wanted y'all to be creative as we go into this next week. And as always, as my fave says, Be your damn self. (laughs) All right, y'all. I love y'all. Talk to you next week. Bye.